Chapter Eight of the Green Odyssey by Philip Jose Farmer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eight. The terrible growling suddenly changed to a high-pitched howl of despair as Alzo flew over the railing and out into the air above the walk. Green, leaning over to watch him, did not feel sorry for him. He was exultant. He hated that dog and had dreamed of just such a moment. Alzo's yelping was cut off as he struck the parapet beside the walk, bounced off, and then dropped from view into the depths beyond. Green's strength had been greater than he'd suspected, for he had thought only to toss the one hundred and fifty-pound beast over the railing. There was no time for savoring triumph. If the dog could get through that little door, so could soldiers. He ran out into the room, expecting that at least a dozen men had crawled in, but there was no one. Why? The only thing he could think of was that they were afraid, knowing that if he at once dispatched the dog he could leisurely knock them over the head in their helpless on-all-fours position. The door shook beneath a mighty impact. They'd taken the wiser, if the less courageous, course of battering rams. Green loaded his pistol, spilling the powder at his first attempt to prime the pan, because his hands shook so. He fired, and a large hole appeared in the wood. However, part of the ball also struck out, for the door was planked thickly against just such weapons. The battering ceased, and he heard a thud as the ram was dropped on the floor in hasty retreat. He smiled. As they were still operating under the Duchess's instructions to take him alive, not yet countermanded by the Duke, they would not want to face pistol fire with only swords in hand. And, in the first reflex to the shot, they'd undoubtedly forgotten that a ball couldn't penetrate the wood. This is living, said Green out loud, and he wondered that his voice shook as much as his legs did, and yet he felt a wild exultance shooting through his fear, and knew that he was tasting both with a fine liking. Perhaps, he thought, he really liked this moment, even if his death was around the corner, because he'd been repressed so long, and violence was a wonderful therapy for releasing his resentment and clamped down on fury. Whatever the reason, he knew that this was one of the high moments of his life, and that if he survived, he'd look back on it with pleasure and pride. And that was the strangest thing of all, since in his culture the young were taught to abhor violence, Luckily they weren't so conditioned against it that the very thought of it paralyzed them. No hard neural paths had been set up against the actions of violence. It was just that, philosophically speaking, they loathed the concept. Fortunately, there was a philosophy of the body, too, a much older and deeper one, and while it was true that man could no more live without philosophy of the mind than he could without bread, it had no place in green at the present. The fiery breath that flooded his body now and made him so sensitive to what a fine thing it was to be alive while death was knocking at the door 
did not rise from any mental abstraction or profound meditation. Green rolled back the carpets that led from the room to the balcony, for he wanted a firm footing if it became necessary to make a running broad jump from the balcony in an attempt to clear the walk below and drop into the moat. He'd have to have very good timing and do everything just right the first time, like a parachute jump. Otherwise, he'd end up with broken bones on the hard stones below. Not that he was going to make that leap unless he just had to, but he was leaving an avenue open if his other measures didn't work. Again, he ran to the bureau and drew out a large bag of gunpowder, weighing at least five pounds. In the open end of this he inserted a fuse and tied the neck around it. While he was doing this, he heard shouts and cheers as the soldiers returned to the door, picked up their ram, and hurled themselves at the thick planking. He did not bother shooting again, but instead lit the fuse with a candle. Then he walked to the large door, pushed out the small dog's door, and tossed the bag through it. He jumped back and ran, though there was little chance that the resultant explosion would harm the door. There was a silence, as the soldiers were probably staring paralyzed at the smoking fuse. Then a roar. The room shook, the door fell in, blasted off its hinges, and black smoke poured in. Green ran into the cloud, got down on all fours, scuttled through the doorway, cursed desperately when the hilt of his sword caught on the doorframe, tore loose, and lunged through the dense smoke that filled the anteroom. His groping hands felt the ram where it had dropped, and the wet, warm face of a soldier who'd fallen. He coughed sharply from the biting fumes, but went on until his head butted into the wall. Then he fell to his right, where he imagined the door was, came to it, passed through and on into the next room, also filled with a cloud. After he'd scuttled like a bug across its floor, he dared to open his eyes for a quick look. The smoke was thinner and was pouring out the door to the hallway just in front of him. He saw no feet in the clearer area between the floor and the bottom of the clouds, so he rose and walked through the door. To his left, he knew, the hall led to a stairway that was probably now jammed with soldiers. To his right would be another stairway that went up to the duke's apartments. That was the only way he could go. Luckily, the smoke was still so dense in the corridor that those assembled on the left staircase couldn't see him. They think he was in the duchess's room yet, and he hoped that when they did rush it and didn't find him there, the rolled-back carpets would give them the idea that he'd taken a running broad jump from the balcony. In which case, they'd at once search the moat for him. And if they didn't find him swimming there, as they wouldn't, then they might presume he'd either drowned, or else got to the shore and was now somewhere in the darkness of the city. He felt along the wall toward the staircase, his other hand gripping the stiletto. When his fingers ran across the arm of a man leaning against the wall, he withdrew them at once, bent his knees, and in a crouching position ran in the general direction of the stairs. The smoke got even thinner here, so that he saw the steps in time to avoid falling over them. 
Unfortunately, the Duke and another man were also there. Both saw his figure emerge into the torchlight from the clouds, but he had the advantage of knowing who he was, so that he had plunged the thin stiletto into the soldier's throat before he could act. The Duke tried to leap past Green, but the Earthman stuck a leg out and tripped him. Then he grabbed the ruler's arm, twisted it behind his back, forced him up and on his knees, and, using the arm as a cruel lever, raised him. He enjoyed hearing the Duke moan, though he'd never consciously taken pleasure in pain before. He had time to think that perhaps he liked this because of the torture the Duke had inflicted on his many helpless victims. Of course he, Green, a highly civilized man, shouldn't be feeling this way. But the rightness or wrongness of an emotion never kept anybody from experiencing it. Up you go, he said in a low, harsh voice, directing the Duke toward his apartments, manipulating the twisted arm as a steering column. By then the smoke had cleared away so that those at the other end of the corridor could see that something was wrong. A shout arose, followed by the slap of running feet on the stone flags. Green stopped, turned the duke so he faced the approaching crowd, and said to him, Tell them that I will kill you unless they go away. To emphasize his point, he stuck the end of the stiletto into the duke's back and pressed hard enough to draw blood. The duke quivered, then became rigid. Nevertheless, he said, I will not do so. That would be dishonor. Green couldn't help admiring such courage, even if it did make his predicament worse. He refused to kill the Duke just then, because that would throw away the only trump card he held at that moment. So he stuck the stiletto in his teeth and, still holding with one hand to the Duke's twisted arm, took the Duke's pistol from his belt and fired over his shoulder. There was a whoosh of flame that burned the duke's ear and made him give a cry that was almost drowned out in the roar of the explosion. The nearest man threw up his hands, dropping his spear, and fell on his face. The others stopped. Doubtless they were still operating under the duchess's orders not to kill Green, for the duke must have arrived at the foot of the staircase just in time to witness the explosion of the gunpowder and he was in no condition to issue contrary orders, being deafened and stunned by the report almost going off in his ear. Green shouted, Go back, or I will kill the Duke. It is his wish that you go back to the stairs and do not bother us unless he sends word to you. By the flickering light of the torches he could see the puzzled expression on the soldiers' faces. It was only then he realized that in his extreme excitement he had shouted the orders in English. Hastily he translated his demands and was relieved to see them turn and retreat, though reluctantly. He then half dragged the Duke up the stairs to his apartments, where he barred the door and primed his pistol again. So far, so good, he said in English. The question is, what now, little man? The ruler's rooms were even more luxurious than his wife's, and were larger because they had to contain not only the duke's hundreds of hunting trophies, including human heads, 
but his collection of glass birds. Indeed, one might easily see where his heart really lay, for the heads had collected dust, whereas each and every glittering winged creature was immaculate. It would have gone hard on a servant who'd neglected his cleaning duties in the great rooms dedicated to the collection. On seeing them, Green smiled slightly. When you're fighting for your life, hit a man where he's softest. End of chapter 8